Hello and a warm welcome to ACAST Q2 22 earnings call. Uh, as always, it's great to have all of you here and a big extra welcome to anyone of you who is watching this for the first time. Uh, my name is Ross Adams. I'm ACAST CEO and I'm joined today by our brilliant CFO and Deputy CEO, Emily Billat. Okay, so before we dive into the numbers, I think it's worth reminding you all about the fundamentals of our core ACAR strategy, and especially for those of you that are new to this call. Podcasting is a very fragmented space, and it can be difficult to get your head around it uh, with uh, who does what. Um, but the key thing to understand here is that ACAST plays the central role globally in hosting, distributing, and monetizing content for podcast creators. Our vision is built around the creator and that thriving creator economy. Uh, ACAST is effectively a two-sided marketplace and you know, servicing the two main stakeholders. Uh, the first stakeholder uh, group is the supply side, and these are the creators, the podcasters, uh, who are right at the center of everything, everything we do. Um, and today we represent 66,000 of them, and that number is growing all the time. Uh, then on the other side, we have the demand side. Um, firstly, this comprises of 2,400 advertisers uh, that ran campaigns um, on those podcasts with ACAST in the past 12 months. Um, and that number is getting bigger every year. Uh, we'll look at our offering for advertisers in a little more detail later on in the presentation. And um, secondly, and this is a newer growing trend, the demand side uh, now also includes the monetization of podcasts directly from their listeners. For example, through the likes of subscriptions to premium or exclusive content. And that support comes from some of the 87 million monthly unique listeners in our marketplace. Everything we do and everything we build is done to support both sides of this marketplace. And it's our mission to enable podcasters of all sizes to find their valuable audience and to make money from their craft. That's why we make sure their content is distributed to absolutely anywhere an audience is able to listen and discover their show all while ensuring they retain complete creative freedom and control. Uh, and for brands, we offer creative advertising solutions that reach an immersed, targeted, passionate and engaged audience of affluent listeners, driving maximum effectiveness and ROI for the advertiser, whilst always respecting the unique relationship and bond a podcaster has with their listener. And these things are key and unique to ACAST. You know, we are a pure play podcasting infrastructure company and an app independent marketplace. Uh, we are a podcasting and nothing else, which means we have a singular focus on extracting maximum value from the podcasting economy for creators and advertisers alike. OK, let's talk through the headline numbers. ACAST delivered 39% net sales growth in Q2 or 28% organic growth, reflecting a general cooling of the ad market for podcasting. Our gross margin for the quarter was 30% and was impacted by one-off costs related to long-term podcaster contracts in the US. And these costs arose as a result of the revised ad market outlook and excluding those one-offs, the gross margin would have been 35%. 
Our adjusted EBITDA margin was minus 31%. This comes following a period of heavy organic and strategic investment, which of course culminated in the purchase of Podchaser. Uh, We're now past this heavy investment period and expect the EBITDA margin to improve from here on albeit subject to the usual seasonal fluctuations, of course, to reach break even in 2024. Uh, As a result of the macroeconomic environment, we have updated our financial targets, which Emily will go through shortly. But I'd like to firstly add some colour on the podcasting advertising market. Firstly, it's clear that every company and every industry is still facing a level of uncertainty on a macro level, and this has led to a cooling of the advertising market globally. Podcasts have proven more resilient than the general ad market, and the podcasting market is expected to grow by around 15% in 2022 and still reflects a continued high level of activity compared to other media channels. Podcasting is still a media that has some way to go to be effectively and fully monetized. And for us, there is ample runway to continue to grow and better utilize the inventory available. And the ad money will continue to grow over time, given the effectiveness of the medium and the high ROI advertisers see from it. In terms of how we see the change in pace of growth impact the business, we have seen a relatively strong performance of host reads, whereas the growth pace of programmatic has slowed slightly in the last quarter. Acast is still growing at around two times uh, the pace of the market at 39% net sales growth or 28% organic and is therefore taking market share. So to recap, we continue to grow and take market share in a controlled manner with an adapted pace of investment and cost control. We find ourselves in a different macroeconomic context than last year, and we've adapted to that, and we will continue to do so. Uh, It is with that in mind that we have revised our financial targets, which Emily will go through now. Thank you so much, Ross. All right, so let's have a look at our updated financial targets, starting with the top line. So... In terms of a new financial target for organic net sales growth, we have set ourselves the task of achieving an annual, average annual organic net sales growth of between 40 to 45 percent between 2020 and 2025. And this compares to the 60 percent we guided to at the time of the IPO. Now, that time period spans 2020 to 2025. And in light of the high organic growth that we had in 2020. You will recall we posted 74% organic, and in 2021, we posted 69% organic growth. If we translate our new financial targets into what we expect to see for the period 2022 to 2025, so this year, from this year onwards, um, the uh, revised financial targets imply a 30% average organic net sales if we look at the period 2022 to 2025. So let me just repeat that. The current average annual organic net sales growth that target of 40 to 45% between 20 and 2025 implies a 30% average organic net sales growth between 2022 and 2025. All right, moving on to uh, the gross margin. Previously, we'd guided to a 37% gross margin, and now we're providing a range of uh, achieving an annual gross margin of between 
35% to 38%. And this reflects the uh, uh, span in the organic, uh, sorry, this reflects the span in the gross margin that we can see in an ad market that is less buoyant, like uh, right now, but it also reflects the potential for upside on the gross margin, supported by those lovely sauce revenues that uh, podcaster, podchaser are uh, contributing moving forward. So we're delighted to see that come through in the years to come. In terms of EBITDA profitability, we are now bringing this forward in terms of achieving EBITDA profitability in 2024. Our prior guidance was to achieve EBITDA profitability between 2024 and 2026. So we're bringing that break-even and profitability target forward to the 2024. In terms of the dividend policy, there's no change, and ACOS does not intend to pay cash dividends in the foreseeable future. No doubt there'll be a question or two uh, on this down the track, but before, uh, let's get back to our usual agenda and get some updates from across the business. So back to you, Ross. Thank you. Um... Okay, so here's the big one. Uh, as you will no doubt have seen in the news, ACAST has acquired Podchaser, the world's largest, most comprehensive and most authoritative podcast database. And here's Podchaser CEO, Bradley Davis, to tell you a little more. Hello, my name is Bradley Davis, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Podchaser. Brief background on Podchaser's origin uh, believe it or not, it started on a Reddit thread five years ago. So my previous job was selling cardboard boxes and rags door-to-door to manufacturers. Uh, super exciting. And because of that job, I was driving all day, every day, and started falling in love with podcasts to pass the time. And I felt like I had listened to every podcast in existence, which makes no sense. It's impossible but that's how I felt. And so I went online and I looked for some sort of discovery platform, something like IMDb. And I didn't find anything. And so I went on the podcast subreddit and I asked the question, is there an IMDb for podcasts? And if not, does anybody want to build it with me? And that's where I found our co-founder Ben all the way across the world in Melbourne, Australia. And we started building Podchaser. And so that was five years ago. Since then, we've grown into the world's most comprehensive podcast database. We now track over four and a half million podcasts, 17 million credits, hundreds of thousands of ratings and reviews, sponsor data on the top 5,000 podcasts, and a ton more for what is over 1.7 billion data points, which we're very uh, proud of. So our team now also spans the globe, and it went from two people on Reddit to uh, about 50 people across 12 countries and six continents. And throughout this journey, uh, we've stayed true to our values of supporting podcasts open ecosystem by remaining completely platform agnostic, partnering and working with everybody and giving podcasters the tools they need to connect with new audiences, regardless of whether they're independent or with a big network. And so joining ACAST was a no-brainer for us. Um, our missions aligned perfectly and as soon as we started talking to the team, we fell in love and it was clear our values were in sync. Their similar commitment to nurturing and supercharging an open podcast industry is obvious. So combining our joint mission with ACAS scale allows us to just keep doing what we're doing, it accelerates our vision 
and our efforts to build discovery tools to help listeners and creators and advertisers get the most out of podcasting. And I'm very confident that by combining forces, we deliver the industry's richest set of authoritative structured data for everybody and much, much more. We're very, very, very excited to get started. Thank you, Bradley. Uh, Bradley and his team have built an incredible database from scratch, and we're really looking forward to working together. Freycast this acquisition strengthens our position as the world's largest independent podcast company. And Podchaser is an important asset in our mission to continue driving innovation within the open podcast ecosystem, where podcasts are freely available on all listening platforms. Podchaser will offer our podcasters enhanced discoverability, helping drive their growth and monetization goals. Our advertisers will benefit from superior performance metrics, enabling them to more efficiently reach their valuable audiences uh, with access to data points covering demographics, consumption, reach, and favorability. And finally, Podchaser's SaaS-based structure collects and monetizes data, adding additional revenue and strengthening ACAST's own business model. So all in all, it's a move that we believe will set both companies up for long-term success. Throughout Q2, we've also focused on partnerships and collaboration agreements that strengthen our offering for creators. And in many cases, we're the first podcast platform to partner with these companies, making us the clear go-to podcasting partner and giving podcasters even more reasons to choose Acast over our competitors. We've made it easier for new podcasters to create content by partnering uh, with both Podcastle, which is an all-in-one solution for podcast production, and the internationally renowned audio interface manufacturer Focusrite. Uh, we signed a distribution deal with the social music streaming platform Rezo in June. Uh, Rezo is owned by ByteDance, the company behind TikTok. Uh, and Rezo is a fast-growing community for listeners in Southeast Asia and also Latin America. And so our integration will give Acast podcasters exposure to millions of potential new listeners and more of the global advertising market. We further strengthened uh, potential revenue opportunities for our podcasters through a partnership with Spring, um, a social e-commerce platform for merchandise and other products. Uh, we also teamed up with Meta uh, as its first podcast partner for the launch of its interoperable subscriber groups, allowing our podcasters to create exclusive Facebook groups for the Acast Plus subscribers. Uh, similarly, we partnered with a company called Lalo. Uh, Lalo is a messaging uh, and CRM platform for creators um, to further empower our podcasters. Uh, Acast creators will get access to Lalo's suite of audience engagement tools. Um, and we also work closely with Apple to align on its delegated delivery tool for which Acast will be a launch partner. The tool will empower Acast podcasters to upload, manage, and distribute premium content directly to listeners using Apple Podcast subscriptions. All of those uh, partnerships helped us attract nearly 20,000 new creators to Acast in Q2, including some of the big names in podcasting globally. Uh, those names include three shots of tequila in the UK uh, and WTF with Mark Marin 
in the US, both of which have returned to the open ecosystem with Acast, having previously signed exclusives with other platforms. As Brendan McDonald, producer of WTF with Mark Maron said, teaming up with Acast gives us creative control to bring our fans more benefits than ever on our own terms. We can't wait to unlock fan favorite episodes and bring listeners new content on every podcast platform. And as Marv Abbey, host of Three Shots of Tequila said, it's time to take three shots to the next level. With Acast, we're going to be bigger and we're going to be on more platforms. That's really vindicating for us and for our business model. And it's great to see those shows making themselves available once again for all listeners on every listening platform. We also signed a deal with one of, well, if not the uh, world's biggest podcast, The Daily, from the New York Times to monetize its listens in the UK. The Daily is the biggest show in existence globally when measured by listens. And yes, it even outranks that specific controversial interview podcast you may all be thinking about. Um, as we've shown you before, if you measured ACAST's reach and scale um, against uh, key players in the US, you can see that we are neck and neck with Wondery in terms of US reach and in terms of global downloads. This data was taken from PodTrack, which is known as the podcast industry's most respected ranker. Of course, all of that strong performance on the supply side means great things for the demand side. So let's take a closer look at some of the innovations for advertisers and how they help us offer the industry's most innovative ad targeting opportunities. First up in Q2, we began rolling out our new conversational targeting capabilities. We're using AI to transcribe hundreds of thousands of podcast episodes to enable better, more granular targeting, all while respecting listener privacy. And the uptake from advertisers so far has been incredibly promising, and it includes a number of big, well-known brands. Until now, podcasts and their advertising space have mostly been tagged in relation to their genre, uh, meaning two very different shows might be tagged um, and presented to potential advertisers in the same way, just because they cover similar topics. Uh, with conversational targeting, advertisers are now able to target specific conversations within podcast episodes. That means they can align themselves with conversations that differ from the podcast genres or the episode's overarching theme. So for example, a sports podcast might usually cover the latest results or transfer gossip, but in one particular episode, it turns out the hosts are discussing cooking and nutrition with a special guest. That presents, of course, a relevant opportunity, a sponsorship opportunity for a food brand and one that may not be previously have been realized because the podcast as a whole was categorized under sports. So that's just one element of conversational targeting. And throughout the year, we'll be introducing new capabilities. Uh, keyword targeting is the next innovation on the horizon and will allow us to go even deeper and help advertisers to be uh, even more granular in their targeting, uh, offering the ability to target towards and away from any episodes where specific keywords are mentioned. On one hand, this brings innovation uh, to new levels of hyper-targeting, um, a brand being able to target every mention of itself across all podcast episodes, as an example, or to advertise against competitor mentions. On the other hand, it gives greater reassurance in terms of brand safety, allowing brands to explicitly target away from episodes mentioning specific keywords. 
keyword targeting also offers the potential to think about ad inventory in a completely new way. Uh, an advertiser might choose to own the first mention of a specific keyword in future episode releases, as an example. Uh, besides from all of this rich first party data, we continue to work with well-respected partners such as Nielsen to power third party data audience segments, targeting audiences at a listener level. Then we have our curated collections. Uh, these are collections of podcasts with similar audience demographics packaged up together so that advertisers can reach more of the types of listeners they want to, but at scale. And there are over 40 of these. And of course, uh, the acquisition of Podchaser further strengthens our advertiser offering at a show level. Podchaser provides trusted, transparent data for advertisers and marketing professionals to more efficiently find and reach engaged podcast audiences, adding to the competitiveness of our advertising products and creating value for our advertisers. And now on to numbers with Emily. Thank you, Ross. All right, so let's start by looking at our listens. You heard Ross mention that show growth that we've seen in the quarter, adding nearly 20,000 shows, so getting to that 60, over 66,000 new shows. That acquisition has underpinned our strong growth in listens, which reached 41% uh, in the quarter compared to the same quarter last year. Average revenue per listen was uh, largely flat on the same quarter last year at 0.26 SEKs. But we see the potential for ARPOL to increase over time. Um, you see there on the right hand side that listens were largely flat Q2 on Q1, so comparing those uh, consecutive quarters. Um, and that is a similar trend that we saw in the same. Uh, two quarters last year. Still a really strong 41% growth in listens, which gives us that ample runway to continue to utilize our inventory in, in a better way moving forward as the ad market at one point in the future starts to catch up. So looking at our net sales growth, we did grow by 39% despite advertiser sentiment in the quarter. And all of our segments did contribute to the growth. We also had uh, strong FX tailwinds and our organic growth for net sales was 28%. Of course, we see the usual seasonality patterns when it comes to Q1, Q developments. Looking at our segments, North America remains our fastest growing segment, but as you can see here in the middle, and as Ross mentioned earlier, it has been hit by those one-off costs that we incurred related to podcast or contracts, more on those later on. But if we start with Europe, we saw a solid 28% growth in Q2 22 compared to the same quarter last year, and we also saw as neat scaling. So our contribution profits in Europe uh, increased to 35 million SEKs and we expanded our contribution margin to 17%. So that's just a nice piece of evidence that we are scaling well in uh, Europe. In North America, we had 72% uh, growth, heavily impacted by FX. So let's just make a note then and uh, that America's grew by 54% at organic rates of exchange. That's related to the US dollar uh, compared to the SEK. 
In North America, we have made continuous investments, and that is why we're seeing that contribution profit move to a contribution loss in the quarter. was also impacted by those 18 million SEKs and one of costs related to podcaster contracts, specifically in the US. Our other market, this is mainly Australia, New Zealand had solid growth of 48% and um, had a marginal reduction in contribution profit, sitting around the break-even mark. Now, to the gross margin. We did have a gross margin at 30% in the quarter, impacted by one-offs. And if you look at the right-hand side, you can see that we've had a very stable gross margin over the last four or five quarters, and that this uh, quarter stands out at 30%. So these 18 million SEKs in one-off costs are related to a reassessment of podcast contracts in the US that run over a longer period of time and which are affected by a lower ad sales outlook. We exclude these one-offs, the underlying gross margin in the quarter was 35%. So again, these one-offs are related to a revised ad market outlook. In terms of our operating expenses, we have continued to make investments in Q2. But to Ross's point, this period of uh, heavy investment uh, is now over and we are moving towards uh, a more limited pace on investment uh, growth moving forward. So looking at the numbers, our other operating expenses our operating expenses grew from 172 million SEKs or 143 million, excluding last uh, year's IPO-related costs. Um, and they grew to 206 million SEKs in this quarter. Again, geographically, the investments that we've made over this period of time have been mainly focused in North America. And if we look at cost category, the investments have been focused on product development as well as sales and marketing. Moving on to EBITDA and adjusted EBITDA, Q2 2022 represents an inflection point for adjusted EBITDA and EBITDA margins. Let me just note that there's very little uh, adjusted for in this quarter. We had around 300,000 SEKs of costs related to the purchase acquisition, but there's very uh, little difference between adjusted EBITDA margin and adjusted um, and EBITDA. So the adjusted EBITDA margin in the quarter was negative 31%, which compares to the negative 21% we saw in the same quarter last year. And of course, the uh, ad market sentiment, the reduced gross margin, and our selective investments have impacted the EBITDA results. But again, we'll repeat it. Q222 represent a margin inflection point. And we should see our EBITDA margin improve from this point forward. Of course, we'll have the usual seasonality fluctuations that we see in any given year. But from here on to 2024, we are on this path to break even and profitability. Looking at our operating cash flows, these were, of course, impacted by our losses. We also have had a small positive impact from working capital in Q2 of 2022, as we have improved our debtors collections, specifically in the UK. So, so hats off to that team. 
When we look at our individual quarters on the right-hand side of the slide, uh, of course, these have been impacted by working capital fluctuations quarter on quarter. And I should also flag that an adjustment has been made to our operating cash flows for Q1 2022 and Q4 of 2021 related to uh, movements in exchange rates, and those details are in note seven on the financial report. No change to PL, no change to balance sheet, no change to our cash position. But so to summarize this set of results, um, I think it feels really good to have come past this inflection point for our EBITDA margin and that we have turned the corner. Back to us. Thank you. Um, okay, so let's take a look at some of our more recent and soon to come happenings at ACAST. Um, our international expansion continues with moves into Italy and into Singapore. Uh, in Italy, we have undertaken a digital launch similar to how we have launched um, in Spain, supported by our international uh, central international team, which is part of how we launch in new markets in an efficient way. Uh, Singapore represents our first on-the-ground venture into the Asian market, and we've hired a key account director over there to support our growth strategy. And there are a number of countries where podcast listening is exploding. Uh, Indonesia, as, a, as an example, has seen monthly listens grow nearly 350% in the past year. Uh, coming soon is the next phase of our conversational targeting capabilities, which I spoke about earlier. Uh, the next update here will be a keyword targeting, allowing advertisers to target towards and away from any episode where specific keywords are mentioned. And finally, more and more of our very high profile podcasters are launching paid subscriptions through Acast Plus. Uh, those names include Mark Maron, Richard Herring and Shagged Married Annoyed. Uh, their fans will be able to pay extra for things like bonus episodes uh, and exclusive content, bringing them even more revenue and supporting their ad driven payouts. June was our highest month ever for Acast Plus revenue, uh, and things are going from strength to strength. Uh, WTF with Mark Marin already uh, has well over a 1,000 Acast subscribers, while Shag Married Annoyed had more than 400 signups in just the first 24 hours after launching. So we're just getting started. Um, okay, on October 4th this year, we'll be holding a capital markets update, uh, focusing on ACAST's business strategy, financial management, and these updated financial targets. Uh, we're inviting all of our stakeholders to take part and we'll be running a live stream. Uh, we'll, of course, come back with more information regarding timings as well as the registration link in due course. Uh, I'm also happy to announce that I will be taking that call from New York as I'm moving there with my family um, in the next few weeks. Uh, we have always uh, operated ACAST as a distributed management team between Stockholm, London and New York, and we will continue that practice when I'm on site in the US. But I'm, of course, also very happy to be working closely with our US market and product teams in supporting their growth moving forward. Hope to see you all on the 4th, wherever you are dialing in from. Uh, and that's it. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're now going to open up the floor for any questions you might have. Thank you. And if you do wish to ask a question, please press zero one on your telephone keypad now.
Our first question comes from the line of Derek Lalibete from ABG. Please go ahead. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, and, and good morning, uh, Ross and Emily. Uh, so, so I have a few um, uh, few questions here, as it was uh, uh, a bit more to digest them than usual. So, so first off, um, uh, I was wondering about this uh, one of costs uh, affecting uh, gross profit. Uh, uh, if you could give some details on on what this relates to exactly in, in the U.S. Um, uh, what this reassessment. Uh, actually means and, and implies because I couldn't uh, hear you properly there, Emily. Thank you. All right. So in terms of the one-off costs that we have taken, they relate to a reassessment of podcaster contracts in the US. And these are contracts that run over a longer period of time. And they're affected uh, by a lower ad sales market uh, outlook. So uh, excluding those one-off costs, 18 million SEKs that we took in the quarter, the underlying gross margin for the quarter was 35%. We have been a little bit more forward-leaning in our podcast contracts when it comes to our investments in North America and in the US. And you will note that the reassessment is related to those US uh, podcaster contracts. So it's a little bit like um, um, any longer um, project, for example. You might see a similar impact in the, the billing industry, IT industry, insurance industry, where you reassess your ability to make money and your obligations against the contract over a longer period of time. And when you make that reassessment and have a different view of the contract as a whole, then uh, you take uh, either an upside or, an, uh, or a charge in the current period does that make sense Derek? yeah i think i, I think i understand but uh, but uh, happy to happy to follow up uh, on that uh, yeah uh, thank you uh, so uh, secondly here i, I was wondering um, uh, on your updated long term targets um, uh, how uh, how should we view your sort of assumptions around the uh, the, the macro uh, scenario going forward here. I mean, uh, this 40 to 45% targeted growth rate, is that something you think um, you will be able to achieve amid a uh, really prolonged weakness here, or, or is that more of a best guess uh, scenario? How should we view it? So looking at that 40 to 45%, average uh, organic net sales growth rate. That relates to the period 2020 to 2025. And translating that into a forward-looking period, so 22 to 2025, it implies uh, an average organic net sales growth rate of around 30%. And that's given that we had really high growth in 2020 of 74% and in 2021 of 69%. So looking forward, the implied uh, average net sales organic growth rate is, is 30% for the forward-looking um, period. And ACOS does have a track record of uh, doubling or tripling the market growth. So, uh, so this is based also on how we have fared in the past. So I don't know if you want to add any new ones to the, to the ad market uh, reflections there, Ross. Yeah, I think then obviously we're seeing a, a seeing a softening of the 
uh, ad market and this has happened in you know different regions at different times you know we we signaled this uh, back in q1 but we believe we've got a good view um moving forward you know i think advertisers in this period um continue to look at um mediums that perform best in re- regards to roi and podcasting has out and out been that number one channel delivering roi which is why we've seen a a great increase in, in host reads. So, you know, I believe we've got a good view of, of what's going on in the macro economic environment right now. Okay, sounds good. And, and uh, on, on uh, related to this, on, on, on the advertiser uh, behavior here, uh, has anything changed or, or picked up over the last uh, month here or, or so, or is it uh, hard to draw any conclusions? Uh, here based on on the summer months or and um, and also if you you could comment on on uh, the US uh, sort of what type of macro impact you're you're seeing in that market specifically as the organic growth rate was was a bit um, bit lower than than the prior quarter i mean uh, you know some yeah I, I can take the first bit summer months are always you know relatively quiet anyway but i think um you know as i mentioned before you know we we spotted that you know europe was softening in q1 um and you know q2 we we saw more around um affecting uh, the north america region so you know it has affected different regions at different times but like i mentioned we're we're comfortable in in where we uh, view the market at the moment and if you want to add anything to that yeah, I mean, we've uh, we've had the uh, visibility now on developments in North America. Uh, for many other companies, uh, in advertising in North America, May was a was a tough um, month, and the U.S. has uh, reflected on uh, two quarters of, of negative GDP growth, and uh, so we expected the prevailing market conditions to continue in the near term in the US and that is um, that's how we view the market. We're still uh, posting 54% growth in this market environment. So I'd say it's a, podcasting is a wonderful place to me um, despite these macro turbulent times. It's really a medium that's holding up very well relative to, to other channels. Okay, great. That, uh, that makes a lot of sense uh, to me. And, uh... And finally, from from my side, I was wondering on this interesting uh, Podchaser uh, acquisition. Uh, unfortunately, the the segment with Bradley was, was cut off there. Uh, but but when when do you expect to be uh, to be able to sort of take meaningful advantage of of having this uh, data in house? And, and um, uh, can you say anything about what we should expect in terms of of the impact on on uh, on the Arpel, for example? I mean, we've only just completed, obviously, on Podchaser. You know, they've got a, a, a roadmap that they are following. We're already connected with Podchaser. We connected with them um, uh, just under a year ago as well. So we're already kind of working very closely with them uh, anyway. Um, I can't really say any more about, you know, how soon and how quickly and how deep we'll be uh, integrating moving forward. So we just uh, are going to spend the next um, few weeks with them and and, and working through kind of the roadmap and, and, and where we sit within that. If I can add just a little okay. bit on the um, on yeah. ARPL, Derek. 
I mean, the uh, the acquisition in itself will support Artful, any SaaS uh, style revenue. So the the wonderful Podchaser revenues that are are coming through, even though they're not material in in the overall scheme of things right now. Over time, these SaaS revenues add valuable support to Artful and cross margin, similar to how our ACOS Plus revenue behaves. So, so SaaS revenues, ACOS Plus revenues are on their own great uh, supporters of cross margin and uh, Artful. And then of course, we're going to work with Podchaser to help our overall ad machine uh, become even more efficient. That will drive the ARPOL uh, when it comes to the ad inventory that we sell in general. So it'll have a two-pronged effect. Okay. Yeah, I, th I think uh, just uh, from my side, I sort of interpret as uh, that this would have sort of a uh, pretty big impact on, on the overall uh, ad machine uh, as um, I mean uh, it's still a, a fairly big uh, acquisition for you and, and also the, the, the multiple uh, is quite a bit uh, uh, higher than, than your own valuation multiple so to speak so so uh, it, it would be really interesting to follow that and uh, thanks for, for all the helpful comments um, that's all for me thanks Eric and the next question comes from the line of Dennis Belkind from Carnegie please go ahead Good morning, Ross and Emily. <clears throat> so uh, just following up on, on growth throughout the quarter, and, and if you perhaps could be a bit more granular, um, say, for example, how June was developing compared to April, um, and also what uh, does uh, these readings mean in terms of expectations for, for the second half? Is, is organic growth more likely to come down from here by, by an additional percentage point, or, or do you expect it to sort of remain flat at the current level? Um, well... Um, I mean, right now we are, uh, as I said, we're expecting um, the market to prevail in the U.S. and, and continue to, to see this slowdown that we've seen. Um, so, uh, so we do not see um, an improvement in, at this point in time in the U.S. In, in Q3, and that impacts the Americas as a whole. As, the U.S. is the bulk of our America's business, so um, so uh, that's where we are right now. Got it. And and then also to sort of put this in relation to to the updated target. Uh, I mean, you're currently at 28% organic growth versus the the implied target of 30% over the coming years. And um, so, with these new goals in mind, how do you see growth trending until 2025? 2025 is, is pretty uh, far out. Uh, the current market projection from for podcasting advertising from PwC lies at 15% overall for those periods. And we have a track record of uh, 2xing the market uh, growth pace <coughs> in the past. So, uh, so we feel comfortable with our overall outlook for that period, but we won't comment on sort of specifics on, on the quarter by by quarter developments. It's a long time for 2025. Got it. And, and then also on, on costs, uh, I think you were pretty clear on this being an inflection point, uh, but how should we sort of think about open development during the, the second half, um, or perhaps more, more reasonable, are there any larger costs 
during the, the first half that we won't see in, in uh, the upcoming quarters. In the uh, first half of the year, we uh, probably made the most important <laughs> investment that you can make into our culture and the engagement of our staff. And that's uh, a very important thing for us. We can't uh, build uh, culture and trust between our teams on, on Zoom alone. And I'm sure you've seen it on LinkedIn. We had a wonderful uh, conference in England where we brought the company together in Q2 to uh, uh, share our mission, our values and our uh, uh, journey moving forward. Um, and that is of course an event that is not recurring in, in Q3 or Q4. It's not a material number if you look at our cost line overall for the year, but it uh, slightly increases our costs in Q2. We have some uh, costs related to the pod chaser acquisition, but again, it's not going to be a material uh, swing either way, quarter on quarter. So the big um, trend that sets the pace of our OPEX growth has been our recruitment and our investment in our product development and tech teams, as well as the geographical investments we made in markets predominantly in North America. So as we slow that pace of investment, that will also come through in the cost line in the second half of the year. And that's also um, what underpins our uh, ability to deliver this inflection point and improve on our EBITDA margin moving forward. Perfect, Richard. And then um, on, on the sort of um, contract uh, evaluations, uh, how much of these minimum revenue guarantee contracts uh, is, is currently recognized in the balance sheet? And sort of what are the risks that they, we will see additional costs from similar revisions going forward? There's a small amount recognized in the balance sheet, and uh, we've made an assessment about the performance of these contracts over the their full contract period. And uh, we've been a little bit more forward leaning in the US in terms of our investment, in terms of our, our appetite to take on these contracts. And that's what you've seen now that the uh, ad market outlook in the US and in the Americas has come down. So we've made that reassessment. We've taken the costs in this quarter and uh, we feel good about performance moving forward. Very clear. And then uh, finally, from my side, uh, you saw quite a significant increase in the number of shows uh, quarter on quarter. Is it anything in particular explaining this, this large increase this quarter? Uh, I mean, it's growing at a much quicker pace than listens. And what does that imply in terms of sort of listening growth in, in the second half? Uh, which I guess, I mean, you also have um, some solid contributions from, from large signings. Joint yeah, I can I can pick up on that. I think you know it kind of highlights all the and the combination of all the hard work we put into our product, all the partnerships that we announced. You saw obviously a slide on that earlier, the huge amount of partnerships, which kind of makes us that creators platform of choice. Uh, we're learning obviously a lot more about our marketing efforts as well. So you know, attracting um, that many shows is no mean feat. Um, so we're very happy in, 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 in how we're attracting shows. And that's not just in kind of a one core region. That's kind of globally as well. Um, so uh, in terms of listens, you know, of course, you have seasonality uh, that kind of impacts listens anyway. Um, but no, we're focused on on um, the growth we saw in shows is a very good sign as to kind of the, the ACAST machine we're creating. Uh, 
Great. Thank you, guys. Thanks very much, Dennis. And we have one more question from the line of Emily Johnson from Barclays. Please go ahead. Morning. Um, so I have three questions and um, maybe go one by one. So the first mm -hmm. question was on gross margins. Um, looking at your new margin range suggests a bit more downside to your initial gross margin target of 37% despite the Podchaser acquisition. Is that stemming from a slightly different ad mix or different terms across geographies within that ad mix? You know, obviously referring to the US this quarter. Okay, so if we start with that one, uh, you hit on some very good notes around the gross margin. So what impacts the gross margin typically is our product mix, what types of ads do we sell? If we sell post-red ads, they typically come at a 70-30 split and um, pre-recorded brand ads that, uh, might come at a 50-50 split. So depending on the product mix, the product, the gross margin uh, resulting would go um, up or uh, down. We also have uh, um, an impact from the, uh, it's a small impact, but let's mention it uh, regardless. And that is the, the streaming cost that we incur from listening on our platform. So when uh, listens grow very strongly and the ad market is sort of not growing at, at the same pace, we have uh, less of an ability to spread those streaming charges across our portfolio. So what supports a higher gross margin in, in a buoyant ad market is A, the fact that we are penetrating our podcast portfolio better um, into the middle and the heart and, and the tail of those podcasts. And typically they carry higher gross margin products. And we also see that, that spread on the streaming costs across the portfolio. So in short, a buoyant ad market supports the gross margin and gives it upside and vice versa in a less point ad market you have those reverse effects including uh, reassessing your podcast or contract and taking these one of cost which we have done so uh, the uh, 35 to 38 percent range that we have guided to reflects this difference in and it reflects the ad market that we're in right now which is putting a little bit more pressure on the gross margin but it also signals that we see upside over time also supported by the pod chaser acquisition and uh, of course those SaaS margins are, uh, are uh, a great contribution and support for the margin moving forward. And that is also why we've dialed up the range to 38% at the high end. Um, my second question then was, you referred to your EBITDA inflection point and spoken about being past the biggest uh, phase of investment. Um, can you just talk quickly about what investment you have done uh, that you set out to do at the IPO and, and what is now being postponed, if anything? Um, should we expect a slightly slower rollout of new geographies uh, or any changes to the depth of investment in existing geographies um, relative to uh, a, a slightly lower overall growth number and EBITDA profitability being brought to the, the near end of that range. All right. 
like to pick up on Ross, if you want to add anything, feel free to, to jump sure. in. So investments that we have made in the last two years and in the last year include, uh, for example, getting uh, our key markets to critical mass. And what do we mean by that? We mean that uh, we've gotten to the point where we have the right level of presence, we have the right skills and the right team on site to take a market forward and able to scale that market to a greater degree than what we've seen in the past. We have a track record, for example, in, in the UK and some of our more established markets of getting to that uh, um, inflection point in the sense of reaching critical mass and being able to, to scale uh, profitably. And we saw that this quarter in the numbers in Europe, for example. So we expect that same path of scaling to uh, continue in uh, our broad markets across the globe that have now reached critical mass. We've also made investments in our products, our technology, and uh, for example, the likes of ACOST Plus and other really scalable products and processes that help our business um, scale globally. The products that we build are built for scale, they're built for a global rollout, and they support our scalable growth moving forward. Ross, do you want to add any nuance on on yeah. our investments or how we think yeah. I was looking at the um I was gonna talk about the expansion side of things. Um, you know, we mentioned obviously that expansion was a key area for us to focus at at IPO and we've continued to do that. But how we've approached expansion has been slightly different. Uh, normally we do have feet on the ground from day one on both uh, the sales and content side, but we've approached it now from a, a digital point of view um, and um, can scale very quickly in, in, in multiple countries without having to have investment in feet on the ground. There's a certain timings when that makes sense. Um, but for us, you know, we can still continue to expand in a digital sense. So we've been more efficient in how we approach that. Another area of scaling um, and efficiency is where we have, uh, we've talked about this and you can see it in the numbers in Q2, is the efficiency of our uh, podcaster acquisition machine, the show growth that we've seen and the listens growth uh, that has, has come with it. Um, and um, uh, that is wonderful and a great place to be in, but we also need to, to sort of balance our uh, two-sided marketplace to allow those ad revenues to uh, catch up, to ensure that we utilize our inventory in the most effective way and see those uh, upsides to gross margin on financial performance um, and EBITDA margin, uh, flowing right down to the EBITDA margin moving forward. So that's also investment that uh, we can see already is coming through and uh, paying off. Got it, thanks. And then my, my final question was, um, when do you expect free cash flow break-even relative to your EBITDA break-even in 2024? Um, and more generally, how comfortable are you with your liquidity position post the pod chaser acquisition? We are very comfortable with our cash position post the, the pod chaser acquisition, and we haven't guided on cash but I would note that in general, our EBITDA result over time has been a reasonable proxy for uh, cash flows. And as there are no further questions, I'll hand it back to the speakers. 
Great stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining today. Uh, please don't forget to follow us uh, on investors.acast.com, uh, on our blog, on our website. And don't forget, of course, this presentation will shortly be available as a podcast. Um, so just search for Acast Financial Reporting wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great day. 